Metal episode 66. I called this episode Death Metal Forgotten Gems and it's mainly going to be me exploring a lot of kind of lesser known death metal bands, particularly from like the 90s era. But there's a good chance you've heard a lot of them. The title might be overstating the obscurity of some of these bands. They're mainly albums I don't hear mentioned all that often, so wanted to give a few more in detail reviews. There's a good chance you've heard of a fair few of these, but hopefully there's a few new uh, albums to you in here. I'm going to be going through these albums in a rough chronological order. So the first one up is from 1991. And with many of these bands, I'm going to be saying stuff like, oh, I wonder why this never caught on. I wonder why this band never really took off. With this first one, it will become abundantly obvious why they never got massively popular. This is The Art of Crucifying, the one and only album by Germany's Jumpin' Jesus, the possibly worst-named band I've ever come across. That's jumpin spelt I-N apostrophe Jesus. Yeah, it's uh, it's a poor name. But at the surface of this, this is actually a brilliant album. The Art of Crucifying, really impressive release for 1991. It takes a lot more influence from the Florida death metal scene than it does, say, like the burgeoning Swedish scene at this point in time. There's a lot of that kind of like thrashy proto-death in there you can see also like maybe a bit of like a creator influence and, and maybe some of the more kind of early technical metal stuff there's you know bits of atheist particularly in like the lead guitar work like really intense lead guitar work on this the thing that really i think keeps it grounded in that more like thrash sound for me is the fact it's mainly kind of you can never really get blast beats on it it's all kind of more pretty close to maybe like drop d tuning or e standard it's not massively detuned and the drums as i say never really get that full blast beat while being super fast especially on the double kicks the snare is never that kind of real overpowering thing and in many ways probably a good thing because it's got a pretty rough and ready mix it's clear the guy who was um recording it was not someone who's really well versed in extreme metal at this point in time and i think a, a more intense drum performance might have just drowned out the album as it stands the mix kind of really works for it it's it's not really good but it everything's got its place and it it just sounds pretty decent like the the guitars cut through nicely the drums are really clear and actually well captured there's some great stuff. Uh, the vocals are a really interesting part of this album. The kind of thing that grabbed me when I, when I first heard it. Uh, Miro Pavlik. He has a kind of, you know, sort of standard Florida death scream he uses for most of it. But every so often he will drop in these ridiculous, like, high pitch, like, almost like, you know, like that kind of... Um, sort of thrash metal style absolutely high-pitched wailing scream and he layers that under a few of his more like mid-range death metal vocals and it's just a really like a really nice kind of thing to suddenly grab your attention particularly in tracks like burnt offerings the there is a scream in that which is just utterly ridiculous and completely like grabs your attention when it comes in the solos on this album are really stand out. Like, there's some fantastic lead work, but also the riffing is intense and complex. Like, as much as I say it's got that thrash influence, this is certainly the kind of more technical, over the top end of thrash. And even in tracks like uh, Cloning the Future, 
delving into kind of like Voivod territory with some of the guitar work. The the guitar duo on this of Mike Gage and Oliver Ulrich, incredibly gifted. In fact, the whole band are really decent musicians. Like for a, for a debut album, this is incredibly tight. And it's 1991, so you can tell they can't have been faking it that much. And there's no way they had a big studio budget, but. It is so well performed, and I think that's probably testament to why the uh, the sound is so good. Talking of testament, really confusingly, there's two tracks called Burnt Offerings and The Preacher on this. It's 1991, it's well after Legacy and New Order, so I don't know, I don't know whether that's a knowing nod or what, but yeah, completely unrelated tracks if you're looking up the album. Uh, yeah, so before this, they had a demo tape just called Demo Tape, which is... Just a kind of crapper recordings of a lot of the songs from this album. The one thing that's um, weird about the demo tape, and I don't know why this didn't make it to the album, is the first track, Out of the Unknown, on the demo tape, has the Transcendental Circle as an intro. And that intro is fantastic. It's a like, really rare example of a death metal album having an actually great kind of unrelated synth intro that perfectly flows into the album. But then in the album version, exactly the same track to start, and they just don't put the Transcendental Circle intro on it. So I'm not, I'm not sure why that choice was made, but I guess it does mean at least the album just sort of, after a couple of moments of silence, just kicks into full death metal. There's no, there's no question about what genre of music you're going to get here. There's some interesting moments throughout the album, like sort of a acoustic intro to Chain Gang that slowly gives way to a cool melodic bit of lead guitar, or Burnt Offerings with its, like, weird piano section and then uh, the aforementioned cloning the future which has this kind of like strange like distorted spoken word part which i, I find particularly reminiscent of voivod uh but overall it it more or less sits in the same place with most of the songs it's just this kind of technical thrashy riffing throughout with this like brutal vocal delivery the use of lead guitars are really decent on this there's loads of great moments where one one of the guitarists will be holding down the riff and the other will play like an interesting lead melody and then then you'll get like the massive guitar solos every song has to have a like a trade-off solo in the middle of it one other thing that probably hurt this album uh, when it came out is the cover is also absolutely hideous it's just that and the band logo everything about it is just fuck ugly it's a really interesting one so, so the album is so good but it's just so many barriers to entry on it. There's one other moment that I really want to mention um, because it's fucking ridiculous. Is There's a lovely surprise on the final track, The Preacher, which is actually not a proper song. It is just a isolated 30-second clip of the vocals from Burnt Offerings, and it is just this absolutely ridiculous scream, this this ludicrous high-pitched scream, then a laugh, and then, like, some vocals. But because there's a slight pause before this track, it yeah, it makes me jump every time it comes on. <laughs> and shows off just how good um, Mirror Pavlek's vocal performance was. The biggest shame of this band, like, so there's an interview in the version of the CD I've got where it sort of said, it, you know, it fizzled out for the usual reasons of band members wanting to do different stuff like you know they were all teenagers when they were recording this and just change what they wanted to do musically and yeah so the band kind of fell apart 
within about a year of this coming out. Actually, I think the same year this came out. But what's kind of a shame beyond that is no one else in the band, none of the five members ever seem to go on to do all that much else. They've all got, like, most of them have got one or two entries on Metallum of, like, you know, an odd other demo or something they're on. But for five musicians this talented, it's just a shame they never, never really managed to move into anything else in the metal realm. But anyway, The Art of Crucifying stands as you know, a great kind of legacy item. It's one of those really fun albums that if you stumble across randomly, yeah, it's it's actually pretty fucking amazing for 91. The next one covering is probably one of the slightly more well-known ones. This is uh, another German band, Dark Millennium, uh, formed in 1989, and this is their debut album, Assure the Celestial Burden. Uh, they're, they're one of the bands, actually, that are uh, still going at this point in time. So they put out sort of two albums in the early 90s, broke up, and have actually since put out a further two since 2016. I've, I've, not, heard any, I've not heard any of their material beyond this one, because they're kind of a newer discovery for me. 
So they're a very, very different band from Jumpin' Jesus. This album is... It, like, it's not Doom, and it's not progressive metal, but it's sort of got a bit of both in there. I guess it's still a death metal album at heart, but yeah, there is certainly some weirder influences going on there. It, it's an album that grabbed me straight away because everything about it feels quite unique. The whole the presentation, the way it sounds, the way the songs are structured are very atypical for death metal. It's got a, a lot of atmosphere to it. There's a lot of breathing space in the songs, hence the kind of the doom influence. The the drum performance on this is like it's not that metal for a lot of the riffs. They slow down to this point of just like long drawn out chords over like a very very slow like snare kick kind of beat. Um, Christoph Hess, the the drummer, does do faster double pedal sections in quite a few places, but there is yeah more of a focus on like, these kind of slow doomy riffs. One of the things about this album that stood out to me straight away was the vocal delivery of uh, Christian Mertens. He has this very clear, high-pitched, drawn-out scream. It, I don't know if this is a strange thing to say, it, his vocal delivery sounded almost like feminine to me. I, I, I had to check it wasn't a woman screaming when I first came across it. And there's something incredibly soulful and powerful about how he does his vocals. I, I find them immensely enthralling there's just so much kind of energy in them they like and coupled with this quite complex kind of i think sort of sci-fi slash fantasy slash religious imagery going on in the lyrics i think it might be a concept album but i've not actually read them close enough to know but the the delivery is so so intense and that kind of subject matter kind of so complex it really, yeah, just constantly engaging throughout this album. And what's interesting is, I think they're an absolutely brilliant vocalist, but they don't really vary it up all that much. Their scream's near enough the same all the time. It's just, it's a fucking perfect scream. It's just so soulful and unique. I can't, I can't think of another vocalist that sort of, uh, you know, sounds similar. Musician-wise, like, the bass player and drummer certainly do their job, and they have a great sound on this album, but the the real like kind of highlights are the two lead guitarists. Like I, I believe I believe they both play lead guitar. I could be wrong. But the solos on this album are really well constructed, really beautiful and melodic, and quite technical in places. There's some really impressive guitar work and just some great melodic work. Like even in the uh, first track, behold below the holy fatherlands there's some really cool stuff leading up to the chorus which just keeps it incredibly catchy like it's it's a catchy album but it's quite dark as well there's a lot of um in the scales i think they're playing around with a lot of kind of middle eastern style scales which gives the the whole song quite a different edge particularly for 1992 because we're still in you know the relatively early days of death metal like the swedish scene sort of just got going at this point and yet another album, actually, much like Jumpin' Jesus, where I don't believe the influence came from the Swedish scene. But I'm struggling to place the influence in this one. It's Ashore is a very unique album. It's not one that necessarily puts me in mind on a lot of things. I think it's that, that lack of technicality from such a young band is really interesting, where they seem to be 
quite happy to, barring the solos, to not really show off at all, not to ever push things to that point of playing as fast as physically possible. It's all very much about getting the right riff, getting the right atmosphere. I think it's what makes the, the album so engaging and kind of stand the test of time like it does. There's some really strange ideas thrown in around the place. Uh, the particular one, it, Beyond the Dragon's Eye, is a seven-minute track which goes into these very weird realms of like acoustic guitar and like, lots of more kind of odd atmospheric elements. Uh, the thing it actually put me in mind of, and this might be using a more obscure reference to describe it, but it's like some of the interlude tracks uh, from Sabbath's early, the British Sabbath that is, early albums, that kind of slightly medieval folky vibe to it. Um, yeah, we've with all these kind of like interesting uses of acoustic guitars, some like almost clean vocals, which again, not particularly technical or anything, then it's not particularly good singing, but it, they really work well in my, my uh, from my point of view. There's a couple of other like sort of fun additions. Uh, on the track Spiritual, there's some uh, like bongos in the background, which for a track called Spiritual fits very nicely, I guess. Uh, and actually there's an interview in the, the booklet of the CD where they're talking about um, to try and add some additional percussion. They they like search the, the studio was connected to a hotel and they spent the evening searching the entire grounds of the hotel for an item that had a nice resonance and ended up with a bent bit of scrap metal from the garden, which is, yeah, is, appears apparently in uh, the track Father Legatus somewhere in the background. The, yeah, there's an interesting instrumental in the form of Disillusion towards the end of the album, which is a really nice bridge into the, the close of the atmosphere, the seven-minute-long epic at the end, which really, again, really powerful track, really feels like it's bringing this possibly a story to a close. kind of wish I'd read the lyrics in more detail ahead of this. But it, it, this is an album I'd highly advise you go and have a look at the lyrics because there's, there's a lot of really clever use of the lyrics fitting what's going on in the music. In track three, Black Literature, there's this amazing moment where the the characters, like the, the vocalist, sorry, starts talking in quite like sort of biblical sounding language, getting more and more intense. And as that happens, the guitars have this real like crazy technical freak out moment. And with that like kind of intense like vocal delivery over the top, it has quite a chaotic vibe to it. It's a really cool stuff. The album cover as well, um, apparently like done by a friend of theirs, is really interesting. It's like this kind of split into three columns, and it's like an image that like is connected but changes in each. Like two of them looking more like this kind of almost snake scale like texture, and the next being this kind of ridiculous uh, sci-fi landscape with these strings of rocks spread out over them. But the rocks then connect into the the, the scale-like texture of the other panels. It's kind of hard to describe, but yeah, it's yeah really beautiful looking. And the colour palettes is amazing, like blues and yellows. And I really like Dark Millennium's logo, but it does kind of look like it's out of the 40k universe, which might explain why I like it. And <laughs> I don't know if it'd be for everyone. So what's interesting with this band as well is... so. They seem to have, between their like four albums, have more or less kept a solid lineup. Like they've gone through a couple of bass players and they I think they've just recruited the new drummer, but they've still got that core of the two lead guitarist and vocalist 
that have been with them the whole time. So I'm really looking forward to diving into a bit more of of their stuff after this because yeah, this this was such an interesting and unique album for the time. Um, I, I'd be amazed where they developed the sound, especially if like they were able to get more technical with the later releases. One, I think out of this whole lot, I'd highly recommend just for being quite so unique, especially if you're someone who can get into death metal that is kind of quite lacking on the brutality side, but more into the the atmospheric end. This is by no means a beautiful al- uh, a brutal album. It's more kind of beautiful and majestic. It's although I wouldn't call it melodic death metal. I think it sits in a separate camp from that kind of you know the the kind of uh, Gothenburg sound that would emerge a few years after this. This doesn't have those kind of trappings. It does feel like, like in some ways, it's coming from like doom and. I mean, would it be proto black metal at this point? Like maybe there's influences from that. It's just a really interesting release. up we have another very short-lived band this is one actually something i found with um a lot of the sort of research i've been doing i chose kind of i think about 15 albums i just really enjoyed and for some reason they all seem to be clustered in 1993 so this is the first of our, our ones from 1993 this is catacomb from france and I'm basically going to be reviewing the the album i've got which is a compilation of their um 1992, The Lurker at the Threshold demo, and then their debut EP, possibly demo. There seems to be some confusion over it on Metal Archives, In the Maze of Kadath. Um, Catacomb, that's spelled with a C. There's a lot of bands by that name. Look up the one from France. 
they they're another one there's some kind of overlap i'd say in with the sound of a band like dark millennium this is another band who have certainly focused actually pretty more so than dark millennium on being really evil sounding it's not necessarily like hugely fast in a lot of places but the maze of kadaf ep is just it's really dark all the way through it starts with a kind of pointless uh intro like a a minute of keyboard uh, on enter the castle of the great entities but the uh opening track the key nothing to do with the nocturna song um is just pure brilliant evil riffing right from the start uh, this really dark opening riff like then there comes out of that an amazing bit of lead guitar work like super melodic but still keeping things kind of kind of evil there's a great like just in this song alone there's a great variation of pace um and then like towards the center of it we get this like what and what would kind of be their signature i think with uh lead guitarist tony um and what starts off as a cool melodic solo and then goes into like just a ludicrous load of sweet picking like really technical stuff again for such an early point in time this this is their their 93 release like it's so the guitar work is so impressive there's um there's really great vocal work as well i mean again james doesn't really like deviate from his sound that much but he has this fantastic kind of uh mid-range death growl with like a lot of personality to it the drum and bass works really interesting i mean those two i believe are mainly in control of the fact that we have so many pace shiftings in riffs and then we have um a keyboard player who adds these occasional moments of just like long well-placed like epic sounding synths actually a woman called natalie which um at this point in death metal must have been one of about five women in the genre so that's kind of cool yeah this is just a really amazing little ep it's I, I think in total it's only five tracks it's under 25 minutes and then we you have like as sort of bonus tracks on it the lurker and the threshold demo which is is really decent so the band did like one kind of rehearsal room tape that's you know that, that kind of a bit a bit too raw to be consumed now or at least i, I can't really get my head around it uh but then this they actually got a professional in to work with them on it and it's another four tracks kind of separate to what you've got on the rest of the album really really interesting as well and you can sort of see the evolution you see the improvement in musicianship between like the year the year apart between these two the the guitar performance is kind of funny in some places it definitely has that that younger musician uh, enthusiasm where the sweeping on, um, I think it's Time's Lurker, gets a bit over the top. And you're like, okay, that's enough of that technique. You're very good at it, but can we maybe have, uh, can we maybe have something else in there? Uh, oh yeah, the, the other thing is on their, 
lurk at the threshold they also have a song called legion so there's definitely a lot of overlap with other bands in terms of their naming but then again i don't think these guys are are particularly deep into the lyric stuff um as you may have gathered from the titles it's very much like lovecraft influenced stuff and the cover is like a really i think it's really cool it's kind of like quite lo-fi but it's really charmingly drawn kind of fulu type figure emerging from the mist and a black and white background and the um the, i really like the band logo again it's this like quite overwrought spiky thing with like a pentagram built into it it's hard to do it justice but there's just they've got that that kind of thing of understanding that black white and red is just a fantastic color palette to make your album look evil and as i say this this kind of ep is just extremely evil music and the the sound again is much like dark millennium it's not the most fantastic recording but all the tones just sound really good the guitars sound fantastic on it particularly the solos and everything's there in the mix the bass has a clear part the drums have a clear part for a 1993 like sort of collection of demos essentially this sounds amazing like really impressive stuff i um although you might not be able to find it on amazon like these are going fairly cheap in Discogs, so as obscure demo releases go, it's fairly easy to pick up. Beyond this, uh, Catacomb did a few other things. They uh, they kind of kept going till about 2003 and put out one more EP, which I've actually not got around to listening to yet. But since then, um, the uh, bass player, Ben, and uh, lead guitarist, Tony, have reformed the band and actually put out a single quite recently like it's kind of a home recording type thing i think i think incredibly recently actually yeah this this has been put out since we've been in lockdown april the 10th the great dreamer which has a lot of their signature sound to it between the two of them they're sharing out bass and i believe drum programming duties but yeah it's it's exciting like if as a kind of independent demo like I look forward to, you know, hearing a full length from it. It's, it's clearly still got the ability to write kind of nasty sounding death metal. And a lot can be forgiven in the sound for it just being this kind of like two-man recording. I imagine once we get into studio proper, we'll get something really impressive out of it. <laughs>
that is exactly what I want from death metal. That kind of atmosphere and tone is just so spot on. And a perfect follow-up to this, uh, the Swedish bad Crypt of Cerberus, who, you know, active around the similar point in time. So they formed out of the ashes of the very short-lived, very early um, Swedish death metal band Macrodex, who put out four EPs, and uh, if you want to know more about them, heavily, uh, not EP, sorry, demo, uh, heavily referenced in the Swedish death metal book, a very important early part of that scene. But um, Crypto Cerberus put out a couple of demos and EPs, some of which I'll mention in a moment, but in 1993 they put out their debut album, World of Myths, and this album is absolutely fucking brilliant from the like from the lineup and a lot of things about it, it it sits in a similar vein to what Katakum were doing um but everything's just more polished more more fancy it's again another six-piece lineup with a woman playing keyboards uh <laughs> another weird sort of crossover there uh, another ultra skilled lead guitarist uh who just just absolutely shreds all over this record. Difference between this and Katakumi is they they just nail the solos throughout. These solos are absolutely perfect on this. I absolutely, absolutely love the guitar work. If I believe it's Peter Peterson, which is an unfortunate name, um, on this, and it it is just some of the best solo writing in the early death metal scene I can think of. The album starts in this really cool way with this kind of long echoing synth passage which then like a bit of like very melodic lead guitar comes over and then just the death metal slowly creeps in until the songs kind of like the solo gets more and more intense as the death metal sort of fades in the keyboards are then kept there and just it just comes together in this like really perfect package the opening track the the canticle uh, are it's just amazing it really really decent stuff vocalist uh Christian Eriksson is is amazing on this uh their their vocal work is this really cool combination of kind of this almost like higher pitched black metal shriek and then a lower kind of i initially described it as a florida death metal scream but then i remembered who it really uh put me in mind of was uh masse from the early hypocrisy albums who then went on to become emperor magnus caligula the longtime vocalist for dark funeral he's kind of like lower death metal vocals it's really got that kind of element to it but then and the way they fit this in and don't make it kind of awfully cheesy or ruin it is there's some almost like power metal clean vocals thrown in places they these fantastic kind of melodic vocal hooks that come in like for like middle sections of a couple of songs used immensely sparingly like there's only a few moments of it throughout the album but it's just, yeah, the the vocal and lead guitar performance on this album is absolutely mind-blowing. It's just so good for something from 1993. Especially, as you can imagine, probably recorded in quite a short time with someone who probably wasn't expert at, uh, at like, working on this kind of stuff. It's, yeah, really impressive. Um, 
the 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 riffs and so on there's a lot of this album it does feel like it's very much a vehicle for those two musicians like the riffing is never that technical it's quite slow throughout although it does have like a kind of good nature where it keeps changing up in pace you get the slow kind of long ringing out chords there is also like some more technical riffing thrown in there but as i say it does feel very much like a vehicle for the the two sort of lead musicians but the riffing is absolutely fantastic even when it's more simple like everything still has that thing like Catacomb has where it always it's always got a slight creepy evil nature uh, Jessica Strandell's synths like sound perfect over it really nicely fits again without turning this into something super cheesy which is really impressive uh, as, as I was saying, there, there's a bit of stuff before this that is well worth uh, digging into. There's uh, two EPs and two demos. The first EP, Visions Beyond Darkness, I gave a go, but it's just too rough around the edges for me. Like, it's just so fuzzy, it's hard to listen to. There's some great stuff in there, but I just couldn't be bothered to dig for it. Cyclone of Insanity, on the other hand, the EP that came out the year before this album, is just brilliant. It is absolutely fucking amazing it like the vocals are mostly this deep guttural like more guttural than he ever goes on worlds and myths um the the, the the ep actually has a great tone to it an audible bass for an ep like this is really interesting um i remember hearing uh on a recent into the combine interview with phil tugas he's a really big fan of cyclone of santi i think he went as far as saying it's his favorite lead guitar work on like an early death metal recording you can think of and he is not wrong the solos on this are possibly better than they are on the album and the album's fantastic sadly though this is yet another band where things just seem to fizzle out as soon as the album came out they, they broke up the same year um a few of the lineup went on to do a few other things but nothing nothing that i was particularly aware of on a positive note, the band has reformed as of 2009 and put out another EP. Again, it's it's not one I've got to yet, but I highly advise, especially if you're someone who enjoys like good guitar solos and so on, go back and check out these these earlier releases from uh, Crypto Cerberus. It's really impressive death metal. <laughs>
Next up, we have a band who I became utterly obsessed with in 2019. Uh, this is France's Supparation. Uh, that the bit of an odd spelling is S U P U R A T I O N. Uh, so these guys have been around since like really early years of extreme metal. They started in 1987. We've amazingly like a relatively solid lineup um led by uh brothers uh fabrice uh, loez and ludwig loez on guitar and guitar and vocals um and like in their entire career they have lost one guitarist and changed bass player once these guys have been going sort of strong through to the present day like hundreds of albums under their belt but for some reason the so I'll, I'll go through the history and then get to the album I'm sort of particularly wanting to talk about, actually. Um, so they started out in, they uh, released their first proper sort of EP, Sultry Obsession, in 1990. And given the time period, it's quite, a, you know, it's a solid slab of quite generic kind of raw death metal, but nothing really worth revisiting at this point. I, I found found it a touch dull. But then in 1991, weird things start happening. They put out um, both the isolated EP and promo tape 91, which is they've actually kindly sort of re-released on CD. You can get through their ba the band's website. And this promo tape is bizarre. This is where straight like a lot of strange influences had started creeping into their sound. They'd moved away from this pure like traditional death metal sound and these elements of odd sci-fi ideas are creeping in there the like the vocals for the most part are the kind of standard low scream but then there's these like really washed out like low pitch clean vocals that come in every so often not particularly melodic like almost not quite in tune like in the first track uh creeping unknown there's just like this odd spoken word section and then well not spoken word sort of like kind of slightly melodically hummed section and and there's there's some moments where the guitars start doing stranger stuff it's still like quite a, a brutal release like most of the tracks on it are very much you're you know, in the heavier end of death metal but yeah things have started taking a, on a really weird aspect um particularly like a track with the the ridiculously named 1308.jp.08 no idea quite the logic behind that naming but this is where we start to see really strange stuff happening this song will reappear on their 1993 release the cube but with this, like, this track is where Subparations start finding what'll be their sound, basically, from here on in, with this kind of death metal meets, like, sci-fi ideas meets a slight element of, kind of, more goth-influenced uh, melodic stuff. But yeah, so this EP, like, oh, sorry, demo tape, promo tape, I'd highly advise going back to and picking up because it's a really interesting landmark in death metal for 1991. But the thing I really want to talk about and the album I'm personally totally obsessed with and think is an utter death metal masterpiece that's kind of weirdly lost to the mists of time is their debut album, 1993's The Cube. This album is totally unique i think in the death metal sphere like nothing sounds quite like it it was so ahead of its time in what it was doing i can kind of see why it's disappeared out of you know out of like popular consciousness just because 
it was probably too weird and unless you know and the the band and label haven't really pushed it since so yeah it, it was extremely hard to get a copy of until they recently re-released it so the album starts with a really cool like very low pitched acoustic intro and then we get the opener uh the elevation and what's interesting between this and the sort of the demos and eps is the band have like slowed down and got way less technical like this this band are really odd particularly in this album where they're essentially they're like technical but nothing's that complex like all their songs have really odd off-kilter grooves but it's kind of quite slow and there's nothing that flashy beyond the occasional guitar solo it's it's very interesting there's a lot of playing with some very offbeat riffs um Rob made a comparison once to them sounding a bit like U2, which I, I think was deeply unfair. But there is something in the idea of the immensely simplistic lead guitar work. So you you look at track like the title track, The Cube, there is just this like constantly like, often repeated melody of this like just like this high pitch that kind of sounds like tapping section they use over and over again. And it's 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 a couple of notes, but it's really hypnotic and interesting the songs break into more interesting like sorry more complex stuff throughout like there's some fantastic use of lead guitar but throughout this album has this just very surreal nature it's properly mind-bending I, I found just the riffs deeply enthralling and i can't really tell what makes them so good but they are just really really engaging um lots of else has sort of changed like uh uh, Fabrice's vocal work has got much lower. Like he's sorry, not much lower. Like it's much higher than what he was doing. Like on the all the early demos, he has this quite. Uh, sorry, not Fabrice. His his brother Ludwig, um, his main vocalist. Uh, he his vocal work has got far less like kind of guttural. And it's it's kind of this more clear. It's still very low, but it's not so. It's not so brutal. Like this isn't this isn't a brutal album by any means. Much much like some of the stuff we're coming earlier. It's it's got a kind of evil nature to it, but it's not uh, not in a kind of brutal way. It's just twisted and confusing. Also, the the added addition of some proper kind of melodic clean singing. Still very much in that kind of goth rock kind of vein. It's very low pitch, but now it's far more in tune. It's hardly overused though. It's it's just like the occasional chorus will have like a clean vocal line and it's it's just the right thing for the moment. The album's incredibly catchy. Like almost every song on it has an extremely memorable moment. And the interesting thing, if you get this and the EP, the, that track with the ridiculous name, 1308, etc., um, it's reimagined on this, and it's like it's far less chaotic, but it's still it's still twisted. But you can just see the evolution of ideas between the two versions of this song. There's some amazing stuff towards the end of this. The um, the melodic lead of spherical inner size going into the accomplishment. It is just some amazing lead guitar work, and then just some of the most memorable riffs of the album coming throughout that, and a really brilliant use of like one line of clean vocals just to change things up and insert the most catchy moment of the album at that point. It 
there's so many ideas that just sound very alien to death metal in this and and particularly because it's 1993 they're they're experimenting with this like the whole album is one in-depth sci-fi concept it's uh there's, there's quite odd like kind of much like their music the concept is kind of quite sparse there's a lot of uh a lot of gaps for interpretation but it's a very interesting thing like the album starts with a monologue about the the protagonist's suicide and then then the the kind of protagonist of the story goes through this very strange journey where they're trapped in this kind of surreal sci-fi realm inside a crystal cube and like their their journey to escape from that separation actually their following two albums would be a trilogy continuing this story, starting from the escape from the cube that takes place at the end of this and and moving on through through other elements. The band would then sort of do a really interesting thing of there was no lineup change or anything, but after the cube, they formed SUP or SUP um, and continued a career far more leaning into the more goth vein of their sound, doing this kind of, like, goth metal type thing, which I enjoy moments of. I think the latest album they did in 2019, Dissymmetry, which gets a bit heavier again, has fucking brilliant moments on it. Some of the earlier stuff, uh, less so. Um, but they've released eight albums under that name. But at the same time, Separation have still been going through this, and, as I said, that trilogy would then pick up again 10 years after the release of The Cube with Incubation uh, in 2003 and Cube 3 I, I, in 2013. I'm not quite sure how to say on this. It's CU3E, kind of very new metal sounding uh, album title. But yeah, like, and it's continuing along with a lot of, those two continue a lot more and the idea of it's still death metal, but it's that kind of separation simplified off-kilter rhythmic take on death metal where it's not that extremely brutal but it's it's kind of mind-bending it's yeah it's very out there stuff and i just highly recommend now that anyone who's into death metal that was pushing the boundaries of doing weird stuff you know if you if you love like the finish scene and all the madness that sort of came out of this separation or a different end of that scale but yet another one of yeah kind of buried historically in metal but amazing like kind of amazingly so considering the band have put out like 12 albums many of them very strong i i'm not sure why they never come into the the conversation but the cube is probably the best thing they ever did not to slur the later arms i just think the cube is an absolute masterpiece and essential start point and if you enjoy that go back and check out promo tape 91 it's yeah as i say quite easy to get hold of now and it's just such interesting music
Anthropomorphia with their 1993 debut Necromantic Love Songs. I think this is one of those EPs that used to be obscure and now is actually kind of quite well known. Interestingly enough, the uh, band um, put out a full length after this and then they've reformed and actually had quite a full career with a further four albums. So that might explain the kind of rediscovery. So as I say, Anthropomorphia are a Netherlands-based band, and this is the first of this list, I'd say, which is just one of those proper down-and-dirty, really gross, heavy-sounding um, death metal albums. One of those, like, just properly low-end worship death metal albums. The vocals are, like, just this horrible low the guitars have this really thick sludgy sound to them uh the bass is massive on this uh like if you listen to a track like the carnal pit that bass tone is a, a like a death metal bass player's wet dream the way it cuts through the mix so clearly and it all just adds to this like monstrous low end to it the album has a well, sorry ep i should say has a real nasty sleazy vibe to it as well very much puts me in mind of uh like early pungent stench kind of thing it's just kind of gross and horrible as you might guess from the title necromantic love songs it is a real necrophilia obsessed album Definitely one uh, I'd avoid reading the lyrics in too much depth. Um, the cover leans into this with these kind of two zombified figures like about to romantically kiss. It's eh, It's got a kind of twisted sense of humour to it, particularly the way the kind of the album title's written, the font into it. The font to it, sorry, uh, looks very, um, very romantic in some ways. It's, um, yeah, this is one of those ones where there is nothing truly like inventive on it it's just great catchy riffs throughout real groove to it and as i say just the tone being that spot on beyond this ep i've never dug into their later catalog i've got the the version of the ep they got up in their band camp also has their 92 bowel mutilation demo which is it's good fun it's sort of um a couple of the tracks, a couple of tracks you won't have heard, and a couple of tracks in the album that don't sound quite as good. It is mainly worth it for the utterly ridiculous intro, which is this like real fanfare, like like very old sounding classical music that just gives way into pure gross death metal. But yeah, this this is another one of those bands that have that kind of. There's something about the Netherlands death metal sound that is this kind of big, chunky, low end kind of completely no frills no real level of high technicality but it's just 
groovy riffs and these really solid sounding production it's very it's very different to say like the swedish sound which is kind of a bit thinner and more more evil this is just more heavy and groove orientated and yeah this ep is short but it is just so damn catchy really memorable death metal oh and testament to like how much attention the bass player gets in this the outro to the album is a minute 30 long kind of bass solo i guess less solo more like a melodic piece of but of just bass guitar so yeah they're definitely an album like targeted for me with a real love of the bass I fully admit this next one is uh, stretching the definition of forgotten, but they're, they're one that is sort of left out of discussion I, I, I want to bring up anyway. This is the Florida-based band Brutality with their, again, 1993 release, Screams of Anguish. So this is essentially Brutality's debut, although they do have a series of demos and an EP before this. They're a band who play, it, I guess pretty traditionally the florida style of death metal it's it's fast it's technical it's brutal the vocals are low and powerful the lyrical content is all your kind of standard kind of stuff a bit of anti-religious stuff a bit more kind of angry stuff it's i guess it's, it's more on the kind of uh, religious um and existential vein than it ever really delves into like the gore 
Um, it even, yeah, in terms of Forgotten, it even has a Jim Morris production job. So, I, I, yeah, I, I'm kind of taking the piss, including this one. But I want to talk about it because it's just a really, really decent album. Uh, from the start, we have tracks like These Walls Will Be Your Grave, which is just a fantastically written death metal song it's it's just getting the florida death sound perfectly right the production is fantastic by this point 1993 jim morris is completely nailed getting a good recording out of extreme metal bands and it's everything's on display there's a great guitar tone great kind of drum sound and the musicianship on this is just top notch the the guitar work the drumming is really impressive the uh, the vocals again just exactly what you want from this kind of genre low guttural but with still enough enunciation you can kind of get a good handle on the lyrics there's great guitar work uh, great like kind of solos through throughout each track on the album yeah the solos like do that weird thing of like um moving into almost more melodic territory than the the rest of the, the rest of the song Although on tracks like Septicemic Plague, the solos move into total like leprosy era death kind of style, and that, like, songs like that are just more kind of ugly and brutal. But some like particularly like the opener is a bit more kind of intelligently written. It's like it, this has a lot of variation, and that kind of brings me to the point that I think would put a lot of people off this album. It has two instrumental tracks like built into the runtime that very much put me in mind of an album like Pestilence's Spheres, like, just completely off-kilter for death metal. Sympathy, the first one of them, is all this, like, synth and acoustic guitar work. And it's a weird one, because it doesn't really flow that obviously, but I, I just really love the placement of this. I think it works so well. But, as we know, Pestilence's Spheres was a massively divisive release, and, yeah, doing something in that vein is always going to piss a few people off, particularly in like the world of Florida death metal, where there's quite a, you know, quite an archetype to what those kind of songs should should look like. Tracks on the album like Crush that comes in around the mid pipe actually have like a real atmosphere to them. There's lots of like sort of great moments, particularly in like some of the later songs where things like slow down to more like doom and melodic sections but these only last for a short period of time like perfectly segueing into another brutal blasting riff like another like extremely technical lead guitar moment or or just even set like really technical riffing will come in in many ways this album puts me in mind of say like the early monstrosity releases there's that similar energy to it where it's 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 not certainly not the fastest of the genre, although it does have those kind of impressively technical moments. Um, but there is some really, really interesting stuff in there, particularly in the guitar and drum work. The, let's say, for example, the solo at the end of Cries, for, Cries of the Forsaken is just absolutely brilliant. Again, they're a band where I've got the one album of theirs I really like, and I've never gone further into their catalogue. If you're a fan of the Florida death metal scene, definitely go back and check this one out i think because it's that little bit later like 1993 it probably doesn't get quite the same recognition as some of the classics but i think it's certainly up there in terms of quality it's just a perfectly put together technical early death metal album
seen this episode running uh, rather long so what i'll do is split it into two halves so we can get like the kind of all the stuff past like 1995 into the second part of this i'll do one more and i've got a quick like nepotism corner band as well to cover in this episode the other one hopefully i'll have out uh within a week or so so the next album i'm going to cover is one i discovered really recently actually another one that i think i came across due to that fill to gas interview on into the combine which um, this is uh, probably the most obscure of the lot. This is the Polish band Catharsis with their debut album from 1995, Bitter Disdain. Sadly, this album is basically impossible to get a hold of. It's only available via Discogs on tape. Otherwise, you can find it all on YouTube. It's not available for streaming anywhere, so I won't even be able to get a clip for this, sadly. But... It's well worth checking out. It's one I absolutely fucking love. I found about a month ago, and I think I've already listened to it like 20 times. It's a it's a very short album, but with some real pretensions of greatness. Um, there's a lot of a lot of really cool progressive metal ideas. I've kind of noted this sort of is in that atheist vein, but not quite as jazzy and over the top. The thing that really sits in the uh, atheist vein is the bass guitar work of Adam Mamok. This is an album where the bass and drums absolutely dominate the mix and the playing of both those musicians. Absolutely fantastic. The bass has this real amazing like jazzy feel. It's like a lot of uh, finger style playing, a lot of like moments of slap bass, a lot of higher kind of... Um, higher in the bass register stuff as well often taking more of a lead position whereas the two guitarists sort of hold down more simplistic riffs while the drummer and bass player do more fancy work the album starts with like a kind of completely pointless uh keyboard intro and also ends with like another kind of sort of melodic keyboard outro that don't really work in the scheme of things but the first proper track, the title track, Bitter Disdain, is fucking incredible. It's six minutes long, and the first four are just this really catchy, 
death metal track with that really in-your-face bass and drum work. Uh, Adam also doubles as the vocalist, which, considering what he's doing on the bass, is utterly incredible. And he has this, like, quite standard Stockholm scream, but it's a it's a nice, uh, nice kind of Swedish-style death metal scream with really clear enunciation of... Um, of the lyrics that actually kind of lean more towards that kind of cynic idea, lots of uh, lots of kind of more philosophical kind of stuff, which fits well. The music is not massively brutal; it's more it's more technical than it's brutal. The album, has, but they, they, sorry, then that track, then the second half of it, the last two minutes, goes into this amazing sort of like clean tone guitar with like bits of melodic lead and like lead bass playing over this really kind of melodic outro and this is kind of where the album like this is what the album does throughout is these moments of kind of more heavy kind of traditional death metal riffing and then moments of absolutely amazing melodic work a lot a lot of lead bass and the tone adam's got with the bass it just makes it sound so nice like kind of lead playing it like cuts through the mix like hell you can tell he must be the band leader to have been able to get the album to be agreed to be mixed like this. Yeah, there's some really beautiful moments as the album goes on. The two boards of Testimony has this amazing... Well, actually, it is like an amazing sort of addendum to the second track, I Want to Be As Free, which just like flows into this beautiful, like, kind of, like, Spanish guitar-style acoustic uh, guitar thing with, again, more cool, like lead bass work and then there's a minute long bass solo that follows this the start of side two of it uh so far away is a really forgettable kind of progressive interlude track with like some odd synth and spoken word stuff i feel mean, that track doesn't really work but then we get another two really decent death metal tracks essentially there's only about 24 minutes of music in here but it is an amazing 24 minutes and well worth checking out the production is incredibly rough around the edges, but it's it's certainly got its charms. And also, this has the thing of a really technical album from this time period of... It sort of always feels slightly on the verge of collapse. Like, there are odd moments in it where it almost feels like the band have, like, slightly gone out of time with each other, but they're just slight enough that it I don't think it spoils the experience. For those who are maybe more musically minded than me, it might be a really off-putting thing, but personally, I, I felt it kind of worked, and yeah, the album just has an amazing charm to it. It's as I say, you're going to have to check it out by just going on YouTube and looking for Catharsis. I should state that's Catharsis with a C, and the album is Bitter Disdain. You should be able to find it that way. The band actually reformed in 2010, and in 2014 put out a follow-up album, Rhyming Life and Death. This was with completely new lineup with um, just Adam himself sort of still taking bass and uh, vocal duties, which kind of, you know, ties it together to some extent. The problem with this album versus their debut is it's very polished and it still has those great moments like the, the kind of really prominent jazzy bass, but it's sanded off some of the experimental edges and it's now this very clean and clear modern death metal album. I feel it lacks some of the charm of the original. There's also less of those long melodic sections, which I think really give bitter disdain its... Um, it's charm. It's not to say it's a bad album. It's, it's certainly very enjoyable, but it's just not absolutely incredible like the debut. Well worth checking out. 
So as I said, I want to finish off the episode with a quick uh, nepotism corner. This is another listener suggestion, much like in last episode, of a one-man project that is recorded some music I think is absolutely incredible. This is a UK-based one. The band is called Natura Morta, spelled N-A-T-U-R-A-M-O-R-T-A, or a stuff's up on Bandcamp. Um, they have done, since in the space of basically a year, a free album trilogy of some really cool... I guess I'd describe it sort of... Um, somewhere like between like the kind of like punky, angry black metal with a bit of, like, death metal in there, but then also, like, a kind of, like, almost virus-esque or, like, code-esque influence on it as well. It's really, really interesting, intense, like, just angry, hate-filled music with a real um, progressive edge to it. So, yeah, the first album, Anarchy 666, came out back, uh, like, early in 2019 and is very much in that vein of, like, it's the vocals are mostly a kind of mid-range black metal scream, but then there's also these great, like, sort of clean slash semi-clean uh, lower vocals that are slightly kind of goth influenced, but it really puts me in mind of the the singer of Virus, whose name is escaping me. They've got that like slightly off kilter sensibility to it, which has an almost slightly disturbing nature, and certainly like has carries like a massive like emotional weight to it. The music kind of feels like, at its essence, kind of like a punky rock core to it, but with using very dissonant chords and dissonant melodies, uh, just to make the whole thing have this kind of real nasty nature to it. What I really like about the albums is they have this really massive bass guitar tone to them. Like, it's slightly distorted, but really full sound to it. And the guitars have this great kind of just, like, nasty, slightly blackened, slightly punky tone to them. The mixture of the two of those makes for a fantastic sound. And then very occasional bits of, like, keyboard thrown in there just to, just to add more weirdness, essentially. For, for a one-man recording, it's ridiculously well done as well, like really nice sounding mix like everything is really well played i assume the drums are programmed but you know in a one-man project that's that's totally cool interesting thing with the debut as well is there's a cat cover at the end of it and cat are one of those bands i'm only aware of because they're really well loved in poland and never sort of really translated outside of it but they do a good job of making it kind of fit nicely in the runtime the album, if you're going to check out one by itself, I'd definitely advise going for. So towards the end of 2019, they put out Vile Masters of Mankind. And I think this is easily like my favourite of the lot. It's it's just like everything from the previous album just amped up a bit. It's It seems more angry, like more aggressive. Like, this, like all the stuff has like quite political nature to it. It's sort of a lot of rallying against the, the kind of nature of our reality at the moment and you know very easy sentiments to get on board with and the way it's presented is just really extreme i think this one as well like the clean vocals have more of a place like they've worked out slightly better exactly how to use them and i think yeah they they sit in the mix really nicely like and as i say they have this great kind of emotional weight to them like the the title track from this one's a really good um 
a really good example. And and then there's the track three, Raping a Cloud, is just really odd. Track five, Club Reality, has a moment in the middle where it has this quite kind of like melodic, more chilled out sort of breakdown in it. And that'll become a real um, sign of things to come. So in April, I think it's April this year, um, they put out uh, Swatchmar, which is their, their third album, kind of the closer to the trilogy, I believe. And it is a complete musical left turn. This is into this much more sort of uh, post-punk slash goth, uh, maybe even a little bit of like industrial influence in there. It's really cool, but very, very different. It feels like, as well, this one feels far more depressed rather than like raging against something there's far more of a nature to this one where it's like i, I yeah th- th- this this one i found more upsetting than i did sort of rage inducing and it, it still will like i think it has to be classified as still a metal album because it's still got those screams in there still got moments of more extremity and the whole thing still has that real discordant nature to it but it's just way more relaxed and uh, melodic. Uh, there are really weird moments of it. Track 5, We All Die, is one that stuck with me, with its like incredibly catchy, like almost like pop chorus. And if you kind of play this against anything from the previous the two, two albums, short of the fact you can tell it's the same vocalist, it's very, very different. And it's kind of incredible. Like This is well over two hours of music, put out in the space of about a year and it's there's no kind of fat on these albums they're really sort of catchy and engaging for the whole like 45 minute run times and they're really fun to listen to as a trilogy if you can give it like about two hours and sit down and do all three back to back they're kind of going through the evolution of it is is really interesting as i say i think their second album vile master mankind is the one to to check out if you if you don't don't want to go through the whole two two and a bit hours in one sitting it's got a bit more um sort of like lead guitar elements there's some great little guitar solos thrown in there and then like a few other things going on which is like a bit more complex than the first one and it ha- and actually the way the way the album ends is quite interesting if you do listen to them in a chain where the last couple of tracks do more of the melodic stuff or not so much melodic but more like kind of chilled out less overtly sort of black metal stuff like life frightens death enlightens the final track kind of tails off in such a way that it plays quite nicely into the truth of the next album and yeah all the way through those last three tracks of this one there's more moments of that kind of post-rock industrial kind of stuff that comes in on the next release really interesting one i think um i'm going to end this episode by playing two short clips, one from Vile Masters and one from the the latest album, just to show you the kind of change or the and the kind of um variety to the sound of this band. So this is uh, Natura Morta. So as I say, there's a second part of this coming as a sort of whole pile of albums I really want to get to. I'm pretty just gonna sit take stay sitting here and just record it straight off, but I'll split into two parts because no one needs a three hour long episode of me talking to myself and I'll stick that one out in about a week's time. For the time being, uh, get in touch as usual. Um, yeah, actually, the thing I'll be really interested to know is how many of these albums, if you, especially if you are like a death metal fan, like how many of these albums were remotely new to you? Did you know the whole lot before 
Uh, and do you have any suggestions from this time period? I realise that that kind of like 1993 era where death metal started either getting kind of played out or weird, depending on the band, is like a kind of a sweet spot for me. I really love a lot of the sound coming out of that era. So if you've got some suggestions of forgotten bands, like unknown demos and so on, I've been having a lot of fun over the last few weeks gathering a bit of a collection off of discogs of a lot of these albums that I've previously never been able to get my hands on. So yeah, yeah, hit us up. Um, it's at Breakfast Metal on Twitter, philsbreakfastmetal at gmail.com if you want to send us an email, and uh, Phil's Breakfast Metal at Facebook, just, yeah, if you just Google it, all that stuff should come up. Um, yeah, and I don't normally ask this one, but if you could write any reviews on iTunes or whatever podcast platforms you use, those are those are great for my ego. Um, anyway, yeah, thanks a lot for listening. Crap.